Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 74. My big announcement for today, if you are not a person who follows me on the socials, is that um, I officially started my third album. I went into the studio last week and recorded scratch piano and vocals. So for those who aren't musicians, that just means we set a metronome and I recorded kind of like a rough vocal and piano for the whole songs. And then um, the producer, Jed, who I interviewed in episode like 13, I think, Jed Jones, um, he'll work on building up some um, some synthesized components for the tracks and then we'll delete um, my scratch vocal and piano and record um, real instruments on top um, and then record the final vocals and background vocals on top. So, um, so the process is like officially started. Um, it's 12 songs. I am excited to be, um, I'm excited to be able to talk more about this, but I'm not quite ready yet, but, um, but it's, but I wanted to let you guys know so that, um, if you like my work, you can be, you know, getting excited about a new thing. And, and if you know me at all, you know that I'm, I tend to work quickly, so it won't be too, too long before it's, um, something that can, uh, that can be ready for ears. And, and what that means is it really won't be too long before I can start talking about it, but it's not, I'm not quite ready yet. Um, well, I think that's pretty much it. I'll reiterate again that, um, I am thinking about starting a new segment on the podcast where I read things from listeners. So, um, if you want to send anything in, like it, it could be like specific things that you liked about a certain episode or something that maybe you wanted to add, like, oh, in episode such and such, when you were talking with this person, you guys were talking about this, I was, you know, I wanted to add this or, or, you know, um, maybe like, I have a different experience and I, and what you guys were saying doesn't really ring true to me, but I have this other experience. Or if you don't want to talk about a particular episode, but you just want to, um, write to me and tell me something about what your experience is with these, um, as I like to call them, like these artifice kinds of things, um, where there are different relationships going on in the behind the scenes relationship that we have with our own creativity and our own art and our audiences. Um, just any, any of your own kind of private thoughts about what art means to you or what creativity means to you or kind of anything you want. And I'll, um, I'll read your name and read the thing that you wrote. And, um, I can give your like Instagram or Twitter handle if you send those to me. Um, yeah. And I'd, I'd love to do that and be able to kind of shout out and feature listeners in that way. So, um, so if you have anything that you'd like to share, um, you can reach me really easily. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or directly through my website. My phone number is even on there um, because it's 2020 and there's no sense in trying to not have people have your phone number. Is that dangerous? I don't know. Listen, I ignore every single phone call. That's a number that I don't know, but I, I do respond to text messages. So, uh, do not leave me a voicemail. Oh my gosh. I will never, ever, ever, ever listen to it. Um, yeah. Send me a text message, <laughs> um, or an email or an Instagram direct message or a Facebook private message. All of those channels will be acceptable and welcome. Um, okay. Well, today's guest is Rachel Hedman, who is a storyteller, and I really liked talking with Rachel. I'm going to read you her bio right now. 
Rachel Hedman competed in storytelling as a sophomore high schooler in 1994. Everything went wrong with her first telling, and she considered quitting. By senior year, she received fifth in state in Wisconsin for storytelling. Um, and that's in like speech and debate in case it wasn't clear to you guys. Um, Rachel launched the BYU Storytelling Club as a freshman. It earned the service award. She became the first recipient of the J.J. Renault Mentorship Grant from the National Storytelling Network, training with Don Doyle. For 15 years, Rachel mentored California high school tellers and received the Arne Nixon Storytelling Award from them. She has been Youth Educators and Storytellers Alliance co-chair, National Youth Storytelling Showcase Board member, and Utah Storytelling Guild president. Rachel received the National Oracle Award for Service and Leadership in the Western Region and the Karen J. Ashton Award for Storytelling Service specifically in Utah. For eight Eight years she served as the WSU Storytelling Festival, became the Storyteller Chair, and started the annual Youth Teller Reunion. Meanwhile, she completed her storytelling master's from East Tennessee State University. The adoption folktales thesis was defended two days before adopting two boys with her husband Casey. They have since adopted a girl. She kickstarted Story Crossroads, a Salt Lake County storytelling festival in 2016, and continues to expand it with the dream of an Olympic level six day event called World Story Crossroads no later than 2030. Currently, Story Crossroads holds a year round event, hold, holds year round events from live to virtual in the form of performances, work workshops, camps, and trainings for youth to adults. Um, Rachel is awesome. And we talk about a lot of cool things and she tells her story and um, gives some thoughts about how we can um, better understand each other and tell and receive stories um, with people who we live around or don't live around or just people who we interact with um, today. And I think that's really an important conversation to have. So uh, make sure you listen all the way to the end um, to catch that that conversation. All right, you guys, here comes Rachel. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. Maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. This episode of Artifice is brought to you by AM Salt. Back in episode nine, I interviewed private chef Aubrey Nicoli, and I'm so excited to dedicate this month's ad spot to her latest creation. Andrew and I have been using Aubrey's all-purpose season salt for about a month, and we are crazy about it. We put it on everything, eggs at breakfast time, sandwiches, pasta, and our favorite, the homemade pizzas we're making with our new backyard pizza oven. You can even mix it with brown sugar to make an amazing barbecue rub. To welcome this gorgeous salt into your spice cabinet, head to Instagram at am.nicoli.salt. That's am.nicoli.salt. And don't forget to mention Artifice for a discount when you direct message Aubrey to make your purchase. I can jump okay. there. <laughs> okay, great. And then I wanted to also say last time I did an interview, 
my computer was acting weird, so I might like look over occasionally and just make sure it's still recording. Has the but, green light. Yeah, <laughs> but but I I'm the kind of person that like if someone's doing something like that, I would be like, is something wrong? You know, so I'll just say it now. If I'm looking over, it's not you. There's right. nothing wrong. I'm just checking to make sure those red lines are still happening. I got a new cable. I I suspect it's this certain cable. But it's just hard to know. Mm. You know how it is when you've got all kinds of stuff in the setup. It's like, well, which piece is malfunctioning? So I think I've fixed it. But uh, when when we were multi-streaming, there was so much tech stuff, and I'm not a tech person. Yeah, it's overwhelming. And it's like I hope it all works. Well, that's one reason why, like, I did a couple of Zoom podcasts in the month of May, mm. and it, it stressed me out so much. Like, just it's already technical in a way that is like pushing my limits. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, it's huge learning curve. Yeah. You know, if I could just focus on the storytelling, on the art, yeah. it'd be so much easier than all the tech stuff on top of totally. it. Even though we still had videographers. So it's yeah. not like I didn't have tech help, but I like to know what we're doing. Right. To understand. <laughs> I think if you want your face there, just pick up the mic stand and put it so that it's like, you know, so that you don't feel like you have to like turn to talk into it. Oh, Okay, let's see. I always just tell people, yeah, bring the mic to where you are. And then it moves this way, you know. Right, right. Yeah, you can kind of like manhandle <laughs> it wherever. Because this part of the mic is not like a mic. Right. Do you want to be like right in front? <clears throat> um, okay, let's get started. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, I think, was it? Did Joan give me your name? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I thought so, but then it was like a while ago, so I couldn't remember for sure. But I, I love Joan so much and anyone she recommends, I'm like, yes, I will get that person. So there's even a story of how I know Joan. Would you want to tell it? Well, of course. There was a storytelling event at the Viridian Event Center in okay. West Jordan. Yeah. And a, a big time national storyteller was performing. And I'm the kind of person who loves to linger. I yeah. like to see if I can get chat a, with people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like to chat with them and uh, probably take pictures with my kids with them. That's that's a big deal. Yeah. And while I was waiting my turn, Joan was waiting her turn as well. So, of course, while we're waiting, uh, we just started talking. And I was telling her these big plans with Story Crossroads, that this is a storytelling festival that I do. And I love combining arts. And it it turned to singing. I said, well, I love singing. I love dance. I love anything that can combine with storytelling. And she said, well, wait a minute. I... I have a choir that I lead. Yeah. Would that be something of interest to you? I'm like, well, that's funny you should say that because this was exactly the year that I wanted You're to combine a choir, choir with storytelling. Amazing. And we got talking about it and I was able to visit the school. Yeah. And I, I performed a couple stories there and was able to basically introduce myself to the choir members, hoping that we would be able to do something in 2020. And of course, yeah. oh, that was just last a year. Funny. Yep. So oh, it was supposed to happen May of 2020. We were going to have that. And I loved what the choir already did with the Jabberwocky. Yeah. And oh, I just, I couldn't wait. We, we had a Hungarian storyteller coming and the choir was going to sing Hungarian pieces to oh. merge with this Hungarian storytellers. Oh, it was going to be glorious. Oh, hopefully you'll get It'll to still do, be glorious. Yeah, we'll you'll still, get to do that again. Right. <laughs> oh, that's so, I love that story though. I mean, I think, and, and it's easy to think like, oh, this is fate. Like we're supposed to meet. And I, you know, I think that's probably true. But I also think like if you're the kind of person who's just curious, those kinds of encounters are everywhere. Right. Um, 
where you know if you're if you're curious about people which is kind of my whole jam right. so I, I can wait quietly but why so yeah, let's <laughs> I might chat. As well find out whoever's I by know, me I'm the same way i and i i feel like i'm always chatting with people who are like in line before and after <laughs> me at the grocery store and sometimes i think they they are like why is she talking to me well exactly we're not <laughs> used to that just even as a culture we don't even smile at each other all the time and now with masks it's harder to see the smiles except through the eyes yeah yeah I feel like I have been overcompensating major when I'm wearing a mask. I feel like I'm like, I'm smiling like my eyebrows are like as high as they can go and I'm waving like I feel like I'm 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 mega overcompensating See, those are important muscles to be working on you know that's good that's good so then after all this you're you're really set you can yeah. be having those flashy smiles great well and I feel like I always just want to like talk to everybody and be like how are you doing is it okay like I feel so like I feel very um I always feel compelled by people like I just love people but I feel like even more so because we're seeing so many fewer people I feel like thrilled to like just see people that I don't normally see like I was joking I took my dog to the dentist the vet dentist on Friday and I was talking way too much with the girl at the the, the vet tech at the counter and I felt like she was like okay I have stuff to do and I was like anyways bye <laughs> like, just- no, I found myself doing that when I returned to the library because the library closed down yeah. and I do work at a library and I was excited like patrons please come have your questions yeah, for come me talk to me yeah totally okay well let's like officially get started I'll keep a bunch of that but um so I always start with everybody by asking what you were like as a creative child and I want to be clear that I'm not I'm not always I'm not talking about like the arts necessarily but just what was going on in your creative mind as a little kid or what were you up to Oh, I was up to a lot of things. I mean, that. what's crazy is where does that start? I know. I'm obsessed is with it. Is there really a place to start that? Now, I was listening to some other episodes. Oh, and there's people who have different opinions about where does creativity start. Totally. And I have to say, I was kind of upset by someone who thought <laughs> that creativity is not something you're born with. Yeah. People I do I, have totally different opinions about it. I yeah. disagree. I think creativity is something we have at the very beginning. Yeah. And now there's a difference between creativity and being creative. Right. Because yeah. uh, creativity, we we are born with that that need to yeah. do something. Even if we're we don't have words yet, yeah. we're still exploring. And if you ask a class of kindergartners, can they sing, can they dance, all of them will raise their hands. Yeah. So that is just something we want to do. Yeah. In time, depending, is when that creativity could go down. But it's always there. Yeah. So there was someone who said that. I know. It's that, so like, amazing. I, it's How can that be? <laughs> it's something that I love about doing this podcast because just when I think like, oh, I know what artists think, like someone will say something that I'm like really? That's what you think? Um, But I I like that about it. But I agree with you. Although I do think like, I do think, you know, as a teacher of children, I sometimes see, you know, and I, I think, I think I agree with you. We're born with it, but I think it can start to get damaged early. Oh, of course it can. Really, really And I can tell you a little bit about that. Um, We actually have adopted uh, three kids through foster care. And uh, one of them, my youngest one, uh, she actually, when she came to us, was 10 months old. 
and there was no emotion yeah, at all. So early. No, no smiles, nothing. Not, not that smiles come right away when it comes to babies, but no emotion, no yeah. crying, nothing. And uh, that was really concerning. When it was about a couple weeks later, I think she realized that she wasn't going to be moving around because we mm. found out that the longest she had ever been anywhere at one time was our home. Oh my gosh. So 10 months old, already jumping around here and there everywhere, yeah. not knowing if this is where she would be staying when she realized that this was the place she was staying and hopefully we were a nice, loving, creative home, she opened up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she is uh, huge with smiling. She she is ultra How happy. old is she now? She is now six. Aww, She's baby. six years old. And she is very much a yellow personality. Yeah, yeah. But she wasn't that at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So that's what's interesting. I know that when she was born, she had that. But obviously... Whatever was yeah. going on in her life experience made a huge, huge difference. Yeah. In fact, they say that, um, and this is when I say they, this is when we were trained in foster care yeah. and with licensing and, and things to be aware of. They said that you, a lot of times you think if they're an older child, they have more memories and they're going to have harder times and thus the therapy. Yeah. But with uh, babies, they still absorb totally. all the emotions, all everything, yeah. whether it's a creative atmosphere or not, totally. if it's going to be a loving one or not, totally. they absorb it. And even if they don't have uh, problems in the beginning, it yeah. usually comes up later. They'll kind of get triggered Maybe with different Maybe even when things. they're an adult. Totally. So I keep waiting to see if that will happen. Right now, she's yeah, still ultra happy, good. but you you never know. I've read a bit about about that too, because I was, I was raised in a, in a home that was like, I, I had some... My parents were, were hard people. Mm-hmm. And when I start, I started having like all kinds of psychosomatic pain when I was like in my late twenties. So I've, I've done, a, I've done a fair amount of reading about like that kind of stuff and how like, you know, different sorts of trauma, even pre-memory can kind of, I don't think that's as much my situation, but as I was reading things, I, I read a bit about, about that. It's, it's amazing and horrifying. Right. You know, it's a, it's amazing that babies but, can absorb so much. But that's trauma. Yeah. But now the whole world is going through trauma. Right. And now we have to decide what are we going to do with that. Yeah. So then there's the creativity. Going going back to what you asked me was, yeah. when did that first start? I mean, I truly believe it was at yeah. the very beginning. But some inklings, I guess yeah. you could say inklings well, of what know, I could like, tell. What you were like. like what, what was I like? Yeah, what were you doing? Well... Here's what my mom said. She says, it's my fault that my brother didn't speak until he was four years old (laughs) because I would keep talking. Yeah, you're older. Not all storytellers are ones who are talkers. A lot of storytellers and the great ones are the listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously I had a lot to uh, work on. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) On the listening side as a younger kid. But... uh, this was maybe a strange request that I had for Christmas time as a little kid. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe even five year old, five, six, yeah, five or six. My request was not dolls or anything. Yeah. Not that I didn't get them. It was a tape recorder. Yeah. Of course, this was uh, tape cassettes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted a tape recorder and I got it. And it was exciting to me because then I could I could 
have secret conversations recorded. I could find out yeah. what my parents were talking about. Oh I could gosh. find out their stories, yeah. what's going on. But then I, I could it. create my own stories. Yeah. And with my brother, who's a, a couple years younger than me, I would have things like, we are now in Africa. Yeah. We are now on a safari. You were your and own narrator. I was yeah. my own narrator, cool. though his speaking parts were very small i tried to give them you know i you know my mom thinks i didn't give like, a I'm chance sorry, i but did you're a baby so right you know he's a couple years younger than me you know but but his his high-pitched voice on the tape cassette was like i have an owie it hurts I'm like what does that have to do with africa and a safari okay i'll yeah. work with it okay because because it was a vine and it swept through and oh it my gosh. or was it a snake it was a snake wasn't it yeah so i just had to work with whatever he spoke so you loved storytelling from back then right were you doing other things like drawing dancing singing piano? i think i think all of us as kids hopefully get a chance to just dance around i think naturally that is yeah. what we do is to move around, explore our world. So yeah. I'm sure I was yeah. a dancer. I know that I still do that today. I mean, if I'm down, I'll just dance in the kitchen, you know, put on a fun yeah. song and just dance and not worry about it. I know my sister, even as adults, we've just randomly done that and our parents sometimes yeah. look at us, but then they go, <laughs> okay, well, that's them. Yeah. Uh, but... Well, the reason I'm yeah. asking is I, I, you know, I think I, I want to dispel the myth Mm. that, um, you know, a child is born a painter. Like, oh. <laughs> I mean, I think every once in a while that happens, but I think much more frequently as children, we're doing a whole lot. And mm. then we kind of, you know, but that's not to say that everybody's that way. I mean, I think some children, like I, I certainly have interviewed people who like it was dance and it was always dance or mm. it was mm. piano and it was always piano. It wasn't always storytelling for me. I didn't even recognize it myself until high school. Okay. So, but, but I were, did a lot of little things. There's that, there's that right. little but history. When I look back, yeah. I can say, oh, okay, I can see where there's some yeah. things there, but did I draw? Definitely. I made my own magazines with subscription yeah. of one. So <laughs> mom you, and mom. I guess right. So I'd you say were mom and making dad, things. <laughs> you had like creative energy and you were, you were having, um, like, through lines like like you or, um, that's not what i mean you were carrying things out mm -hmm. like you were thinking things and you were making things right. you were oh, kind of, of doing both um do you remember like or, or what can you remember about how like did did you think that that creativity was part of your identity like were you identifying as like one of the things i do is like this pretend or or was that like, did you have a self-reflection as a, as a small child about what you were doing? I had a lot of dreams that I would have this interactive museum library, almost like a discovery zone. And it, it just combined all of my loves. Even that I loved the library. I loved books. Yeah. I loved uh, stories. I loved having adventures. I would have... Um, Nickelodeon would have those double dare type of shows with all the slime and everything. Yeah, yeah, so I yeah. wanted a bit of just strange craziness with uh, with books and stories and adventures from that. And I pictured as a kid that this is what I would create. Yeah. And, and that felt like it was valuable to right. and compelling. And it was like, okay. I, so I think I, I always felt like it was going to be something creative. Did I say, oh, I'm an artist? No, but I think I recognized that there was so much yeah. that I could play with. And I, I mean, even as a kid, I know that I would write stories. And funny enough, it was a science teacher that brought up, you know, you can store some of these stories 
in my file cabinet here if that will inspire you to write more. Oh, that's it really It was not sweet. the drama or the yeah. language arts teacher. And I don't even know how he discovered that I had this going I, on. I love that story. I've, I've talked about this with one other person. Um, but I, it's something I think about all the time um, with my students. But, I, you know, I talk a lot about like ownership with my students and feeling like, I think this is what I mean with the self-reflection. Like, you know, there's a difference between like, well, I'm doing this stuff, but I'm not thinking about it. It's just mm -hmm. what I'm doing. And then maybe having, I think when you're a child, it's, it's probably external forces saying like, Hey, this is valuable what you're doing. Um, or you might have some sense, you know, um, but having an adult, like, I, I think that's so intuitive of a teacher to say like, you can put this in a file cabinet. Mm -hmm. Like what that is that? That had my name on it. Right. That like, was a big deal. That is ownership. Right. And, and, and that's, there's, it's not that he was going to do anything with them, but like it right. made it feel like official to you. Right. right. And that's, that's really intuitive. It was like a, a portfolio or some kind of, um, right. it gives you, yeah, it, it tells you as a child, like, Oh, the, what I'm doing like deserves to be, protected or deserves mm. to be organized or you know like it's it's not just kind of chaotic art project that we throw away like this deserves a home right. and it deserves a space um and you know I talk a lot with my guests and and some of my adult guests will kind of be like well it's not about external validation but when you're a child it kind of is you know what the way that your development is um, having an adult say like, Hey, Rachel, this is really valuable. Or like, wow, this story is really interesting. Or like, you know, I love how you're like using your imagination in this way. That stuff can really start informing your identity. Right. And it may not be the same kind of validation and, sure. and maybe who knows what they mean exactly by validation. Maybe they mean more verbal validation. I think they just maybe haven't thought versus... about it. You know, like they're thinking like I, as an adult person, don't see myself as someone who cares what other people say and maybe aren't kind of like remembering what it's like to be a child and how you don't, you can't really self-validate as a small kid. I mean, maybe some of us can, but I think most of the time as children, we need feedback, you know, and that feedback can be verbal, like you were saying, or it can just be, um, the feedback can be, my mom also paints, you know, the feedback can just be your environment. That can be enough. Right. Um, that's why I like to ask about it because, you know, if you've listened to a couple of episodes, I'm sure you've heard me say, I think people losing creativity is a tragedy. Mm. And I am obsessed with trying to figure out how we as adult creatives have managed to keep it. And so sometimes I think maybe it starts when we're little, which is why I like to talk about what it's like when we're little. Right. What kinds of things are <laughs> happening in our environments that may be contributing to the fact that we've maintained creativity into adulthood. Um, and some of this conversation is about resilience because plenty of us do not have opportunities to have that kind of validation or, you know, not, maybe we don't all have an ac access to a library or we don't have parents who will take us to a library mm. or we don't have coloring books in the house, you know? So, um, I don't know. I'm always curious about it. So you had lots of opportunities. You were, you were m making stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. You had this teacher when you were a little bit older that was, that validated you in this like very particular way. Um, 
I wanted to ask one other thing. You kind of mentioned it, but I like to ask, how were you consuming media as a little kid? And so for you, it sounds like it was books. Books was the main way. I mean, and not you, that I didn't watch TV. I mean, I watched She-Ra and uh, Thundercats. And <laughs> yeah, but you loved books. But I love books. Right. Do you remember, like, can you just maybe try to describe from, like, your memory what books, like, felt like to you? Like, what you were getting from it? or? Well, I had... Um, an aunt, she's, you know, since passed away, but before she did, she left me a huge, huge box of Trixie Belden books, all 39. Oh my gosh. And this was a Christmas. It was a surprise gift. I don't normally get things from my aunts and uncles. Yeah, so this yeah, was yeah. really bizarre, it's like but she exciting. had it and thought Rachel needs right. this. Right. She's like, she needs this and yeah. not just one book. She needs, you know, 39. Yeah. These were hers. So it was really special that it, yeah. they were hers that she was passing on to me. Yeah. And, uh, and of course the, the pages were yellowed and everything, but I love the smell of old book. Yeah, yeah And yeah. I remember lifting those up and just kind of flipping the pages yeah. and, oh, just that tactile experience, <laughs> right? Just having yeah. that. And uh, not that I read all 39 just like that, but I, I did read all 39 and, uh, I have those videos in my head, those memories yeah. of those characters. Yeah. And now as librarian, Luckily, they still have Trixie Belden. It's yeah. a little older. I do have to warn kids like, okay, this is older. I can tell you new stuff. Okay, yeah. I can get you the latest. Yeah. But here's something that I really enjoyed because they had boys and girls solving mysteries. What could be better? Yeah. I have also, I have similar like very early memories of books being like, like affecting me in this totally like transcendental kind of a way like being little 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 and I specifically remember I bought um I went out with my grandma and she said you can buy one book and so I got um this Jean Craighead George book um Volps the Red Fox and I just loved it I could not I remember re it was like my first like chapter book you know and I remember reading it and just thinking like I didn't know that writing could be descriptive like this. I didn't know. And I just felt like totally overwhelmed by like this book. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I like. I I remember being aware as a, as a child that like not all my friends felt like that about books. Um, and so that's why I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, when I ask about your identity or like how you thought about it, like, was there ever stuff that you were like, I think I'm thinking differently about these things? Well, I was always the last one done at the library. Yeah. And luckily when my mom would take us kids, we would always do every, every year we would do summer reading and yeah. we had the folders and we could earn coupons and free pizza at Pizza Hut. I mean, that yeah. was a big deal. Yeah. You're talking about, yeah. you know, I need validation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. please. Yeah. You know, the pins, all the fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, but she never rushed me yeah. at the library. Well, okay, not to say she didn't say, okay, it's, we should probably be wrapping yeah. up. But, you know, my my brother, my sister, they would be done. Yeah. You know, my parents, they would have whatever items they wanted from the library. And I... Agonizing over it. Agonizing over it. And I, I would take down the books and go, oh, maybe I should have this one. Oh, maybe that one, maybe that one. Yeah. And in my mind at the time, I thought... Ah, someday I'll read every single book yeah. in this library. Yeah. I mean, now I find out that that was um, quite a big goal because things are published every year. Yeah. But at the time I thought, okay, okay, let me see. Yeah. How many can I take home now? Yeah. And that could go towards my goal and I can get there. Yeah. But then the deciding factor, it would take 
it would take yeah. me a couple hours. So what do you think that is? Cause that's not creativity per se. What would you call that? Like what, what is that thing? Cause I do kind of sometimes, I mean that thing, not all children have that thing. <laughs> well, when I, when I watch kids as a librarian choose books, most of the time they kind of randomly just grab things. Yeah. They throw it into the bag that mom's carrying or dad, and then they, they check them out. They haven't yeah. even really looked exactly yeah. what they are bringing home. Yeah. So I, I guess I was more particular yeah. about, even though I wanted to read everything, yeah. I still wanted to be uh, really clear that whatever I was bringing was what was going to be what I needed right then. Yeah. Uh, I guess it has a level of commitment, but if it took me that long, there was yeah. also having problems well, with deciding. I think it's like a value. <laughs> you know, I think it's like how you're valuing it. Like I, that, that would tell, I feel like that would tell me as an adult, like this child needs something from this book and she wants to make sure she's going to get it before she has another trip. Like you wouldn't want to get home and be like, well, this is all pictures, you know, or like, you know, or this, this doesn't have the kind of thing that I like I'm I need um it seems it seems to me more like like a value or a, a heightened level of care and that's not to say that I think a child needs that in order to be creative because there's also chaotic creative <laughs> right you know right. but like that's why I think I agree with you creativity is something we all have but then finding the combination of our creativity and whatever other thing you need because like I think creativity maybe by itself isn't enough you need like you need a medium that strikes you or you need like I don't know I feel like there are there must be other pieces otherwise we'd all be doing more creative stuff you know <laughs> I think well and I wasn't re always interested in the latest titles at the library yeah I mean I might look at that but I wasn't as interested in that I, I always have been drawn to more the the older ones or the classics. Yeah. I remember one of them that I was debating on, which then I did, I enjoyed was the whipping boy. Yeah. And of course that's received an award and, yeah. and uh, there was, you know, good reason for that. I was helping someone at the library the other day, a, a youth who all she was interested in what were the classics. Yeah. And so I was like, well, you need Johnny Tremaine and, yeah. and you need, uh, you know, there's all these other yeah. ones you need. Yeah. So yeah. 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 I read The Whipping Boy. I found it in my grandma's house. And I remember just feeling very, very sad about it. <laughs> I still think about that sometimes. But I think I was kind of a scapegoat child in a family of narcissists. So, of course, The Whipping Boy would bother me. Oh. Um, okay, so let's talk about, like, how your creativity evolved, like, into your later childhood and into your early teens. And you can just, I mean, what what... What do you want to say about how your creativity was growing or changing or your art skills or whatever in like later childhood, early teens? Well, I always loved story, just the structure of story. You have a beginning, middle, end, that things didn't always have to end happy uh, as long as you still read another story or, or found another story that could get you back to the light again. Yeah. You can go into those deeper, darker places as long as you come back out again. Uh, so I was always drawn to those. And sorry, keep, just keep talking. I'm just I'm just checking this. Uh, yes. And so when it came to high school and my friends saw how animated I was 
they said, um, Rachel, you need to do something with this. Yeah. I mean, you're really expressive. You know, we know that you en- enjoy. This was high school, you said? This is high school okay. now. This is jumping to high school. And they said, you're so animated and you should do something like compete. You, c- you could compete with forensics. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. The public speaking contest. That's amazing that you had friends who were supportive of that kind of quirk. Well, it helped that my friends were usually the theater world or okay. they already were in forensics. So I'm, I have follow-up questions. So how old were you when your teacher offered to um, store your stories? That was you? in fifth grade. Oh my gosh. That was That's fifth so grade. precious. And so, actually to add to that though, yeah. um, uh, his name's uh, Mr. Gladowski. Mr. Gladowski. And during that year that I had him, amazing. And obviously I looked forward every time I went into that classroom, knowing that even though we were talking about science and not always about my yeah. stories, that but he, he like held cared. a place for that. Right. So I knew that going every time I went in that classroom. That's amazing. So then it was awful when I got a phone call uh, and learned that he had passed on. Oh my gosh. So he died during the school year of oh my that gosh. year. And uh, I remember going back to the classroom knowing that there was a file with my name on it. Mm. And I was given that by the new teacher. Yeah. And said, I, I know that he would want you to have this. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so, so tragic. So that, it, it, it was. And, and, yeah. and I thought, oh, you know, of all years. I lost this per, And I lost this person who had a sacred space mm. for my creativity. And I went to the funeral. And I'm just a little kid. I'm just a fifth grader. Yeah, that's I a went, big, I went with my parents. I said, I need you learn. with me. Yeah. I need you with me, but I feel like I have to yeah. be there. And I, I told uh, his wife about what he Aww. did for me. And yeah. um, we were able to hug. And, and I think we were able to honor that it wasn't just me, but all of the, the youth that he... Yeah. He impacted oh, and that, of, I mean, to this day, I remember it. Yeah. The kind of teacher who does that mm-hmm. is I, my fourth grade teacher was like that to me. She, she would take really special care to talk to me about my, the things that I made. And I remember she said to me like, you're, I'll see your name in lights someday. And <laughs> I still think about that all the time. She came to my wedding. Um, I, I've lost, I've lost touch with her. She, I think she changed her phone number and I can't find her. And she was getting older. She was, she was probably in her fifties even when I was in fourth grade. So she's probably pretty old now, but yeah, those kinds of things can really leave mm. a huge effect on you. Um, Okay, so you were already writing stories mm-hmm. and typing them out maybe when you were in the fifth grade. Well, that not typing quite yet. Writing, then. <laughs> just writing them out. Definitely writing them out in notebooks. And, yeah. And, but I mean, the fact yes. that he had something to put in a file tells right. me it was, you know, you were writing them. It was, and you yes. were writing I was them. handwriting yeah. those stories. You were writing yes. them like well, you know, like thoughtfully. Um, so... I think that is something that not every child does, which, you know, I, I just have to imagine automatically adults that are seeing it are going, well, this is something, you know, like, um, this is, this is something a little different or like a little unique. Um, how, I think my question is like, how did you, or, or did you need to like find courage to be like, here's a story that I wrote or, or was it just kind of 
a natural thing for you. It's just what I did. You were just going to do it either way. I was not shy about that, no. And not shy about showing them to people. Especially ever since it was recognized that someone actually enjoyed it besides myself. I enjoyed my stories. You never know know how other people would. Like, how how did he know? Um, I'm trying to remember that. You know, it bothers me a little bit that I can't remember exactly. Here's what I'm thinking. Sometimes we we create stories if we have a gap. Absolutely. So here's the story that I tell me. That's valuable. Yeah. (laughs) So here's the story I tell myself is that um, I believe uh, that we were talking a lot about space. Okay. And whenever you talk about space, there's the constellations. Naturally, there are stories with it. And I'm positive that he must have had an assignment for us to think about maybe the stories behind it. Yeah. And that might have triggered of, oh, you have something here. And sure. then, you know, having more stories, not like just you kind of took that assignment related, like but, a step higher. But now, but now he welcomed any type of story. Sure. And so I had some crazy stories like about a blue duck and a cougar. Yeah. Or um, of course, my name's Rachel, but I had a fairy called Rachel Turnathing, who of course could turn I into love anything. That. Yeah, Turnathing. And there I was this lady so who wanted her her skills, her her abilities, and was yeah. always after me. And she had alligators. That was dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And she had, of course, an underwater cave. It was yeah, it was intense. yeah. That sounds like Little Mermaid <laughs> is like getting into your imagination or something, right? Um, Right, like the sea witch wants Ariel's voice. Like that sounds a little like. Uh, yeah, but we, see, Rachel Turthing could fly. Yeah, no matter what, so she, she could, could fly. get out of there. <laughs> that's so funny. I love that Rachel Turnathing. Right, that's awesome. Um, well, that's really sweet. So, so after that year, you kept writing stories. I kept writing. You never stopped writing. Um, you know, I think I would do a mixture of writing or telling. Okay, when did you start doing storytelling? I didn't even, I feel like I didn't know that was a thing until I was like an adult. Don't worry. You're not alone. Yeah. How did it's, you, it's, in how a, did you know about it? You can kind of hear the kind of, oh, you know, because I see storytelling as the parent art form. It is. All arts come yeah. from it, but all the time it's forgotten because yeah. it's so prevalent that right. people forget. We kind of, and yeah. uh, cause as that soon as we sense. open our mouths as humans, there's storytelling and then any art that is going to make a difference that's going to be impactful has some part of story in it whether it's the story we tell ourselves as we hear it or see it or experience it or if it's the story that is being expressed or really a mixture of both so there's will will always be of course that i mean more like just like i mean i don't think i ever saw a person stand up and tell a story So actually do that's what I mean I mean (laughs) I think I think you're right everyone is aware and also not aware that storytelling is a thing because it's ubiquitous it's just everywhere (laughs) but I mean I I wrote poetry as a child like many creative children do and I would enter contests and I remember there was this one time I was probably eight eight nine ten maybe that I had a poem that was selected to go in this big anthology for like the year and there were a couple of poets chosen for every age group and so I was invited to read my poem at a reading and um 
So I, re- I was really excited. So I, it was at the public library and it was like kind of late at night. There may have been wine, you know, like I think it was kind of like, but I really wanted to go. So I read my like little poem about a unicorn. And then I remember like staying and sitting there. I went with my dad. Um, my mom wasn't there. And, uh, and there were adults like reading their grown up poems and delivering their poems in like really artful ways you know they weren't just kind of reading them but um and I remember being very compelled by that but that's the closest thing I can think you know like and mm. and I remember thinking like wow I've never we're, seen we're anything like that we're gonna have to change that. that Emily yeah well I've seen it now <laughs> I mean I mean there's a reason why like when I started this podcast and made a list of the mediums you know of people that I wanted yeah I saw storytelling listed on there storytelling <laughs> was one of the first things I thought of because but I but I didn't know about it as a child. So I'm wondering, how did you, where did you see well, it? Well, and I guess I still was a child, but I didn't really know myself. Okay. I have to admit, okay, yeah, high school. So even though I was creating stories and writing them, or I was doing things on the tape recorder, I didn't really officially recognize it. Think of it as a medium. As an art form. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, I, could, I could see it as something you would do, but yeah. not or necessarily something that's a part an, of something right, else. Yeah. Right. That's when I saw, oh, not only is it out there, but of course in high school, everything's about competition, right? So yeah. there's going to be your, your oh, trophies so you did, and like, medals. speech and debate. Like you did this so, Right. So this team. is like speech and debate, okay. but it wasn't uh, the debate season. Right. This was the I other was season. on the debate team, so I know. <laughs> I never you did know, the speech was team, but I this know. Other public speaking that came before in the fall. When I was in high school, we did them both all the time. Mm-hmm. And there would be the speech and debate tournaments and there would be speech and debate, which is why you right. couldn't really do both. You kind of had to pick because they were... They happened Sometimes. at the same time. Well, that that's what that was that's what happened at my that's school. That's what happened to you. Yeah. Luckily, I had a yeah. choice. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but they said you should do something. My friends, you know, high school friends, you should do something. So I look at the different categories of forensics, and I hate memorizing. Yeah. And everything I'm looking at, memorize, memorize, memorize. I'm like, oh. No. And then you like, see this what, word, what extemporaneous. Are they, me do? they know that I've never been in a play, right? I may be yeah. expressive, but I, and even to this day, I've never been in a play. Yeah. But uh, I'm like, there's nothing here for me until finally, at like, I think it's the last page. This is what's yeah. picturing in my mind. Is I'm sure it was the last yeah. page. <laughs> Impromptu. <sighs> <laughs> well, actually, it wasn't impro- that was there too, yeah. but it was actually it was storytelling. Oh, really? Storytelling itself was a category. Now, I grew up in Wisconsin. Okay, and Ripon, Wisconsin, is the headquarters oh. of the National Forensics League. Yes, the, okay. the it's NFL. It's not football. So, okay. it, <laughs> that's so forensics. Funny. So <laughs> that was a category, but it wasn't a national category. Yeah, we didn't have that in my it hi- was my school. state level. Okay, you could compete up to state level. But not because storytelling was something that people didn't know how to define. Yeah. District by district. And a lot of times a state could have more than one district with forensics. They would have different ways of defining what this category of storytelling was. And because everything was so different, it couldn't be a national event. Right. And that didn't happen to all these other events. It was bizarre that yeah. of all events, it was storytelling that was yeah. most confusing and yet something that is just part of what it's, we are. Well, that's pro- why that? it's confusing because it's yes. in everything, right? <laughs> yeah. So even forensics, they were confused. <laughs> so really just quickly, before you start, before you, you join the forensics team with storytelling, is there anything like, how did, why did your friends know that that was something that you would love? What, were, what was going on with you that, that that was apparent to them? 
Well, I mean, I hung out with them and they were theater people. So okay. they probably knew that I already So you weren't a theater the person, but they, they... I wasn't the theater person. I was like, okay, hey, when's your play? Sense. Great, I'll go. They as theater people <laughs> were like, she's got something. Cool. Okay. And you right. were still writing. Right. And I, and I, you know, here and there. And so storytelling, I didn't have to memorize for. And I signed up to meet with the coach. And this coach has been like a big award-winning coach. So it was a little nerve wracking. Yeah. But I was going to go do it. So I looked in the library and I looked for a story. It was an African story called Big Keo, Little Keo. And uh, I found out later on that it was more Southern Africa because, you know, Africa is a continent, not a country. Right. Yeah. But I shared that story and anything that could go wrong went wrong. Yeah. I mean, everything. I mean, I stumbled. I forgot the ending. I mixed up voices for characters. Yeah. It was awful. And I knew that she would have this long list of things for me to improve. Yeah. And I waited for her comments. And all she said was, make sure you sign up for more practices. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, at the time, I wasn't sure how to take that, though, oh. because I think I would rather have the list because I knew I was, I see. you know, because yeah. I knew what I needed to fix. Sometimes you, you oh, can perform and yeah. you know already what to fix. Well, I was if that immediately hit me is like, come back and do more uh, like an invitation. But it didn't hit you that way. No, it okay. didn't. I'm sure being in the room <laughs> with her and seeing her say that is was something. Right. So so that was hard. And so on the bus ride home, I really debated if this was really for me. Yeah. At that, uh, oh I, gosh, I could quit now. Yeah. I could quit now. She doesn't really know me. Yeah. And I can just still go ahead and hang out with my friends and support so them wait, in the arts. Was this an audition? Like, what was it? Or it, was it, were you at a it competition? It was an audition. Uh, when it came to forensics, uh, you could have several people in one category. Right. And, but I mean, when yeah. you did this story, were you performing it at like a festival or a competition? It was just me and her. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Like, so not an audition per se, but like, like, but it was the first step of you like know, where am I? Like team, maybe <laughs> like a preliminary, like an interview almost. Almost. Okay. Right. I was just trying and to get she some knows context. What she's working with. Sure. Um, as well. But, uh, but <sighs> I, I, I didn't want to quit. And I wanted to prove to myself that I was a great storyteller. Yeah. So I didn't quit, but I was awful and I didn't sign up for more practices. Why do you think you had the idea? Like, I, I wanted to show myself I was a great storyteller. I forget exactly how you said it. Mm. Like, where did it come from that that was like of value to you? Like, cause that's a fair amount of conviction well, for I, a teenager I, to have about something. I didn't want the label of quitter. Okay. So it wasn't so much about the storytelling as it was like, it was, I, it was more that at, at okay. that point, because I, I didn't have the skill. You didn't know what it was. <laughs> I didn't have okay. the skill of storytelling. So the only thing I could base it off of was whether or not I was a quitter. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I, so you didn't, didn't sign, do more practices kind of did with quit. her, Okay, but <laughs> you didn't quit, but I, but <laughs> I still practice, but on my own, I was even, I didn't even practice in front of my family. I didn't, you know, my mom, my dad, you know, brother, sister, I just, I didn't. So I would just practice in my room in the basement or in the bathroom. So yeah. they would hear strange voices, I'm yeah. sure, but that I just and that's not the best way to practice. I mean, the best you way is to, to get the reactions. Yeah. But I, I, because of that one response, I'm like, mm, okay, I'll still work on it. But yeah. I, I don't know if I'm ready for those well, sometimes responses. Sometimes you have yet. to do your preliminary practice by yourself. Right. I think that's normal. 
Like you eventually you need to practice in front of people if you're doing a performing art. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes you kind of just, you got to do your internal work first. Right. And I'm sure she, my coach wasn't thrilled that, uh, she still let me, but it was the first tournament and she had only heard the one. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it, she's it like, oh boy, gone well. what's going to yeah. come now? You know, we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll see what these scores and look like. Did you nail it? Here's okay. If you know anything about, uh, the scoring, it's like golf where the lowest score is the best. Yeah. And uh, there would be the phrase of you want the nickels, not the pennies. So you don't want the fives. um, You want the ones. But a one can only be given once. So let's say you had a group of 10 that you're being judged against. And there'd be one, two, three, four, and then five. And everyone above five, all would be fives. Okay. And there would be three rounds. And it was known for everybody that if you're just simply new to forensics, that just expect three nickels. You know, you're going to get three fives. That's just how it is. Yeah. But um, I did make trophy round. But my coach said Parkinson, because that was my maiden name. Yeah. Parkinson, you got a three, three, and a four. <gasps> wow. I got to hear this story again. Yeah, yeah. So I tell the story again. She's like, oh, well, you fixed it. Much better, yeah. <laughs> much better. Well, then that, that, was that then the moment I'm like, okay, I can sign up for practices again with her. And I, and then I did of course improve much faster because I wasn't alone. I had someone else that, and and I realized that I shouldn't just shut down from one little comment. I I need to continue on. Got to learn that resilience. Yes. And what was, now we can laugh about it. And and she knows this story. So she knows, my coach knows this story and She's actually on my, my Christmas list and everything. So she gets the updates Aww, of all that I great. do. And she knows that I run a storytelling festival now. We laugh because yeah. I started as a failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then by senior year, I ended up getting fifth in state. Okay, wow. So you go from yeah, <laughs> everything's a mess. You need to practice more. And then I got there and then it just that just triggered everything. At that point, especially my senior year in high school, I knew that that storytelling, professional storytelling, yeah. that was what I had to do. So how did you, I mean, it, what did you do? Just, can you storytell me through your, like how you became a professional storyteller? What happened? Well, I, I had college. What, and what did you major in? I uh, studied communications marketing okay. with a business minor on purpose, knowing that I wanted to be a professional storyteller. Okay. Because, well, oh. yeah. So for, for marketing or like, for marketing yourself or what, what was the thought process? Well, for one, I knew that there wasn't a specific storytelling program. Right. And if I did theater, yes, there might be an aspect of storytelling uh, involved. But if you're really going to make it as a, as a performing artist, you have to have some business know-how. Totally. So that's what I did. I was going into it. In fact, I told every single communications professor, they knew that I was the storyteller, that that was my plan, that I wasn't delving into a pure marketing advertising career. I was going to take it in this direction. And they were very nice for me to any papers I had to write could be storytelling related. So in my communications, there is an ethics course. It didn't just have to be a paper on ethics. They allowed me to, to do it on storytelling ethics. Okay, cool. Um, can I ask like what year you started college? What year? Let's see. Or like, when did you graduate from high school? I graduated. I'm like, Oh, when was that? Yeah. 1997. Okay. So, um, 
how okay, I'm, th- I'm trying to think about like the internet like how did did you have um an idea in your mind of what a professional storyteller does like no not okay. at all <laughs> so you, you knew you wanted to be a professional storyteller like what I knew did, you could do it in high school you could compete yeah. in it and it made sense to me that it had to be out there somewhere yeah. what did you think that meant like I'm so fascinated by that. Like you had this I really idea didn't and just, know. okay. <laughs> but I, I, I knew that it could be. So I, I didn't go to a storytelling festival. The only storytelling I knew was in competition. So did you imagine, like, were you thinking like, I put together a show and like I'll tour. Is right. that like, that, like, Why a, not? like because a comedy I see tour kind of can do that. You know, that, okay. why can't someone okay. be a storyteller? That's really helpful. You just thought like, there's no reason like, this shouldn't not? exist. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so at that but time, that was I kind of what you know. were picturing right. in the beginning. I did not know about the national storytelling network. I didn't know about the international storytelling yeah. center. I didn't know about any of those organizations at all. I just knew that I didn't want to give up on storytelling. Yeah. Even though I graduated from high school, even though I, w- I had, you know, those, the medals, the trophies, those kinds of things, it, it wasn't about that anymore. It was kind of like with the validation, like yeah. that's what kind of drew me a little bit in besides the encouragement from my friends, there was that, Oh, it would be kind of nice yeah. if I did yeah. end up earning some yeah. trophies or medals. But when it came to college, I knew that that I could pursue it, that I could really have a, a, a dream job. Yeah. You know, so many people yeah. give up on that. Total. I mean, I have a music degree, so I get it. Um, <laughs> did, did you, um, what, what was it that felt valuable to you about it at that point? Cause I know these things can change, but like, right. you know, when you were, you know, 18, 19, did it feel like, well, I want to perform or right. I want to tell stories or were you thinking about ethics and were you thinking about like, <laughs> what does storytelling came do for later, culture? But, that, that is <laughs> but yeah, like at that point, what was compelling to you about it? Right. Well, or at just, that was point, it fun? well, it, it was plain fun. And yeah. I, I truly believed that you, you need to do what you love. Yeah. And that I saw too many people that were all bored with life and I was not going to be that person. Yeah. And I already had a repertoire. I mean, because yeah. I competed since sophomore year of high school. So freshman year, I just kind of transitioned to high school. I didn't do any extracurriculars. I just kind of like, oh, it's high school. Yeah. yeah. Sophomore is when I started doing other things, but including storytelling. And between sophomore, junior, and senior years, three years, I had to have at least five stories each year okay. for my competition. Okay. I had 15 stories in my repertoire. Yeah. And I just simply was hungry for more story. I needed more stories. Okay. Yeah. And I figured I wasn't the only one who would be hungry for that. And so mm. crazy, crazy, my freshman year of college, I decided to start the storytelling club on cool. campus. Cool. That's like gutsy. That was Wait, gutsy. Where did you go to school? <laughs> I went to Brigham Young University. Okay. Um, I have one other question. How did your parents feel about like your storytelling dreams? <laughs> they, I have, I laugh only because I'm actually surprised they've been supportive. Yeah. Because I don't always get that from all family members. Yeah. I mean, or at least, well, and maybe they are, and I just don't sense or feel like well, they having someone do. go, having your you know child or niece or grandchild go into the arts, um, 
it's tricky. Like, mm. I mean, I think it's really common for the adults in your life to push back on it. Right. Because they don't eat. I almost, like, I almost was waiting for them to push back on yeah. it, but they, they I, I was actually surprised. I was almost like yeah. gearing up for it and then it didn't happen. Okay, cool. <laughs> so you went, you moved out of state to go to BYU. Mm-hmm. You knew you wanted to storytell, but there was no infrastructure for it. There was no infrastructure, though I had, I had two pages because b- before I went to BYU a few years ago, I found out when I went to the, um, the club um, office where you, you can start a club that there was a storytelling club, mm. but the leaders graduated and no one took oh, on the responsibility. Been like dormant. But they didn't keep, for being storytellers, they didn't keep good records. Mm. All that they had left were two pages for me. Yeah. Like, well, okay, that's better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and all that was, were, was their charter, which I had to create. Yeah. So at least I, I, I could use some verbiage from that. Yeah. And I vowed from that. Um, I was going, going that when I graduated, there would be a record. Okay. So you started a club. How did you got members? And then mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Because of the gauntlet. Yeah. There's a place where all the flyers are handed out. And, right, and right. if you walk oh, down I there, you're going to get that. like 30, 40 flyers. I used to teach at BYU. I taught there for like four <laughs> years. So I'm like, you know, about I'm vaguely where I didn't go to school there. So some of those cultural things, I don't know. Like I just, I, I never, I didn't ever live here before. I went to college in Texas. Mm-hmm. It's close to the, the Wilkinson center. The yeah. Wolf, yeah. I know. I've heard students <laughs> talk about it and I feel like I'm vaguely aware of like, right. Yeah. I've seen that. Um, but I didn't know it was called that. Oh yes. Um, well, at least at the time, you yeah. know, back in, back in 1997. Well, my parents also went to BYU. BYU, so I, pr- I probably have some right. lore, you know, <laughs> floating around in my brain. And, and so I had to just create my own booth. I remember there when I had a booth, I had to, these homemade signs. And this is back before, I mean, my first email was during college time. Yeah. So it's not like there was digital ways to spread the word. It right. was, a, you had to have the booth. And I had a clipboard and a sign up. And one of the first ones that signed up, um, her name is Joanna. And she had this huge, heavy backpack and she saw my sign about the BYU Storytelling Club that we're starting this. And she throws down her backpack and things are spilling out. I'm thinking, oh what gosh. is going on? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and and she's like like looking for like a paper or pencil or something. To write down and the well, details. Well, I wasn't sure. I'm like, is there anything I can help you with? I mean, <laughs> can I pick anything up for you? She's like, no, no, there, there's a storytelling club. Do you know that there's this a storytelling club? I'm like, yeah, I know there's a storytelling club. club. That's, that's yeah. the one I'm starting. Yeah. And it was exciting that there was someone else excited. Just totally. And and she ended up becoming the vice president. That's awesome. But that I that not that I didn't have other fun moments giving out I flyers, mean, but lovely. that was the most memorable. Yeah. She's like your little teammate. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I, I would love I wanna I wanna have some time to get into like your philosophies about art. So mm-hmm. if you could take like ten minutes and talk talk me through like the last 15 years of your life like <laughs> I know it's really hard but I'd like to I'd like to like get philosophical about some stuff so I mean give me give me 15 minutes like but talk, <laughs> talk to me about like how like what happened like how did you develop your career as a storyteller mm-hmm. how did you become a librarian because that's not necessarily a business degree thing just t- talk <laughs> me through talk me through what has happened right, what has gone on all right the quick version is uh with the BYU Storytelling Club uh, four years. So I had my three years of high school, my four years of college. Those seven years, I 
call my apprenticeship time. Okay. I was not a paid performer at that point. Okay. In fact, being a BYU club, you could not be paid. Okay. Even though there was a lot of offerings because we were busy. I mean, it was created. It didn't even have to let schools and and people and organizations know they were calling us cool and we were constantly performing which meant my repertoire kept growing which meant mm. i got better at different types of storytelling right. and i definitely was loving the folktales fairy tales the most but i did any and all types you know your historical your tall tales your pourquoi stories your creation stories your epics your sagas your yeah i mean Ugh, ghost there's so stories. much ghost oh well yeah. of course ghost stories. Uh, yeah october way busy for <laughs> yeah. us all the time yeah. and actually the dorms really loved us they oh, like cool. please come and tell stories oh at gosh. our dorms i love that so much i love it so by the time that there was graduation and i remember i want to make sure that there was a record it did yeah. exist before you know after me yeah. So it did continue the BYU Storytelling Club after me. And cool. they have a big, thick binder of all of our fun memories and things. Yeah. I'm like, I'm cool. not going to leave two pages. I'm like, here, yeah. here, thud. Here's here, your take history. This. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and now go forth and do something. Yeah. And so then I had these degrees. And I actually, I graduated with honors. And uh, in order to do so, I needed to write a thesis. Okay. And of course, I had really supportive professors. And what did they let me write about? Yeah. Storytelling and yeah. not just storytelling. Now, this is where I found out the national and global level okay. of storytelling. Okay. And that, whoa, yeah. that really opened my eyes. Uh, because I, I came upon a book at the BYU library, and it was very new at the time, very new, called The Storyteller's Journey. Cool. by um joseph sobel cool and i couldn't put it down it's like when i would spend as a kid two hours in the mm -hmm. library mm -hmm. well this time it was at least two hours i i i had at least two hours sitting on the ground not mm -hmm. in a chair yeah so i'm <laughs> that, you know, I, I had reading like this that in book. college too right in a weird aisle in the fifth floor right <laughs> and and then i realized i know what i need my thesis to be on yeah because the storyteller's journey was about the american storytelling movement ever mm. since the national storytelling festival that kicked off in 1973 in jonesboro tennessee oh and you didn't know about it i had no idea yeah. that this even existed yeah so this one book i'm like oh there's a national storytelling festival great oh there's there's the, all this history jonesboro tennessee great oh there's there's like a ton of storytelling festivals all over the place well, well good because yeah. this is what i wanted to do anyway yeah. and back then with i mean pre-internet you'd either have to talk to someone who knew or like see a billboard right because remember the first time i got an email was during college time this was yeah. i didn't have that before yeah. I get it. I mean, I graduated from high school in 2006 and there still was hardly any, I mean, the internet was a totally different thing back then. Right. So, oh, I very mean, we, different. We had the internet, but it was not full. You right. Know, and, like, and cell phones didn't even do that till a long way after that. Yeah. So it's not like I'm I didn't checking have a smartphone until I was done with, you know, I was school. lucky to check my email once a day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. If that, Oh my gosh. So, so you um, really, if you wow, wanted to know about something, book. you really had to want to know. So then I, I had to learn more and I decided that I wanted to interview 24 key people of the American oh, storytelling movement. For your thesis. Eek. Okay. I yeah. Love yeah. That. I love that. Yeah. Eek indeed. Yeah. No. Okay. That's great. Yes. And, and because of that book, I already had some names, names. and I reached out to Dr. Sobel and, cool. uh, and was able to figure out some names and the whole process got it approved to even do that. Because remember I was studying communications marketing with a business minor, but they still let me. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, if you have a student that's like creative <laughs> like that, I, I mean, I feel like it, I feel like speaking of ethics, it would be difficult for a teacher to, in good conscience, tell you no. <laughs> you know, well, like, right. I mean, as long <laughs> you as never you're, know, though, they could yeah. have. I mean, it's communications. There's yes and no. I mean, what's communication <laughs> right. more than storytelling? But I, but I, I get right. it. Well, that's yeah. what they said. They yeah. said the, they said the best ads, the best marketing, always yeah. in the form of a story. So, like, yes, great, wonderful. Yeah. Of, of course, you <laughs> of course should do is. this. Yeah. So, um, so then I did that, and now I knew about all this stuff. So I felt like before I was kind of alone in my journey. Yeah. I wasn't in a way because obviously other people are competing in storytelling in high school. But in a way, I was alone. Yeah. I was developing stories alone. It wasn't yeah. a group art. Yeah, yeah, really. yeah. And now I found, you you found might say people. my people. Yeah, I love now, it. Now what I did find was that my people were a lot older than me. Yeah. And there it was very rare for youth storytelling. Not that youth storytelling didn't happen but really didn't happen too much. No, the the biggest names that at least I discovered later that with youth storytelling was because of the thesis. One of the people that I interviewed was Fran Stallings. And she's uh, mentioned and heard about what I did as a youth and like, you must know Kevin Cordy. You must have some influence or you must have some connection. I'm like, no, I don't even know who he is. It's because of Fran Stallings that I knew about Kevin Cordy, who then opened up my eyes in another world again. Yeah. For youth storytelling. For youth storytelling. Okay. Cool. And that is one of my biggest things that I promote is youth storytelling. Because I start as a youth teller. Yeah. And now everything that I do deep down goes right back to yeah. having that next generation, giving them that stage yeah. space. That's really important. That's something I think about a lot, like with the arts, a balance between, you know, the elders and I don't mean elders I just mean anyone older than you well and you know, basically was in the storytelling world and even right now the uh, majority of storytellers are 65 and older yeah so here you have this um newly graduated from college yeah at, that was a big I age gap am positive <laughs> that there is an enormous desire for people to be involved in storytelling who are in those middle ages. Well, exactly. I and I see it all the time, but they just weren't linking themselves with yeah. the national organization. Yeah. And yeah. You, know, you see storytelling all the time with the moth. Yeah. Yeah. And you have, you know, the younger well, there's crowd that all way. kinds of podcasts mm-hmm. that do version like other, you right. know, and podcasting. Yes. Yeah. That, that has a lot storytelling. More, yes. Elements. And then you have, um, well, at least for any of the schools that do have storytelling as a category, there is that. Yeah. Yeah, I would love for the I would love for more people to know to know to have these things as a resource. So, we said 10 to 15 minutes for your whole adulthood and we aren't doing it. So, sorry, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It's my fault. I'm so interested in what you're saying. So, what happened after you graduated? So, after graduating, then uh crazy enough, my first job uh, truly was in insurance. Cool. <laughs> because, of course, I was still telling stories, just stories about cancer. Not the most exciting yeah, and health happy okay. stories, but yeah. they were, you know, important stories. Yeah. So I told a lot of accident and cancer related stories. Okay. So I still use my skills there. And sales was, you know, communications that kind of goes together. And I, I do appreciate that time. It yeah, was good. It's research. And I of. still, but... In between that, I still would tell stories. So there was the Voices of the Valley Storytelling Guild. At this time, I then moved out to California. Okay. And I would start being paid as a storyteller. Okay. And, and that what, was what great. What kinds of gigs were you doing? Um, 
library schools were definitely okay. the most popular. Okay. But any and all you can think of, I have done. Okay. Um, even one on top of a piano that was bizarre. Never to be repeated. <laughs> like that, they had you sit on a piano? Yes. And at oh, the time, I, I was too it. young in the art yeah. to know. Um, no. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you, well, you just I, simply say, oh, sure. Yes, I'll I do that. I have a jazz studies degree. <laughs> I mean, I'm a jazz singer. So this is a, tr- this is a, this is a f- weird fantasy that I'm aware of that people have of like, we'd like a girl on a piano right. and I, it makes me so angry. I get very yeah, like, that was bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> and what made it worse was it was during a dinner. Yeah. And so you're basically background noise versus yeah. you are the spotlight. Once again, jazz studies degree. Yeah. So I get that. You know, and storytellers are not used yeah. to being background yeah. noise. It's usually, there's no eating, you're focused, yeah. you're there. Well, I can imagine that being really, I mean, I think jazz music, sometimes can like that because when you know nobody's listening you can have really a lot of fun as a band you know you can really you can play around play, and you play even with, if you make mistakes you're good right you're playing well you're playing with each other so you right. can maybe do more experimental things right. or you know you could kind of you can have some of the most fun times you've had it's like we're getting paid and we're just we're playing um <laughs> but as a storyteller you you can't have an audience of your peer you know you, you i that would i think that would be I feel like as a band, when you know the audience isn't listening, then you entertain each other, you know? Mm. But if you're if you're by yourself right. as a storyteller, that's totally different. Right. So you started gigging in California and then what? And uh, then I decided to go for my master's degree in okay. storytelling. Great. So finally I came yeah. back. And where where did you go for that? Um, East Tennessee State University, awesome. which of course is that's where Jonesville, Tennessee. I got it. The campus six miles away from that beautiful place. Yeah, cool, cool, so cool. So then I had world-class award-winning storytellers as my professors. Amazing. Yes. So you went out to do your master's in storytelling. Yes. That's so cool. Yes. Okay. Again, I know that lots of times <laughs> artists get sensitive about this question of validation, but Ooh, I'm just curious about it. it. Okay. Okay. I what did you what what were your peers like so the people who weren't in your who weren't your classmates? Other people. People you went to church with your family. What did people think of you getting a master's degree in storytelling? Well, my parents, I think at this, at this point, because I'd done so much storytelling, it was just an obvious thing. Of course, thing. That's, well, what of course that's what she's yeah. going to do. You know, in fact, someday I plan to get my doctorate, hopefully in folklore. Amazing. Yes. That's so cool. So, but yeah, just because I love to learn, not because I need that. Like when you met someone (laughs) or, you know, went on a date or something and were saying like, oh, I'm getting a master's degree in storytelling. Like what kind of, what, I mean, I think it does inform your identity the way that other people react. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you, it doesn't mean you defer to whatever they're thinking. I love, I love learning. And I knew that if I wanted to down the road, I didn't know if I wanted to, but if down the road, I wanted to teach at a university. I needed to you be needed serious and get it yeah. and get it. But still, what did people think? <laughs> well, th- well, for, first off, they like, don't what like, kind what? of reaction did you get in storytelling. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. usually the first thing. Yeah. And, did people think it was yes. cool or did they think it was weird or I think it's a mixture of both. Yeah. I think they definitely thought it was weird, but yeah. they knew I was weird. So it, went, yeah. it matched, you know, I like it. I like it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I like this question because again, like when I was getting a bachelor's and a master's degree in jazz performance, people had reactions about that, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I think I, I wasn't quite gutsy enough as a, as an early twenties girl to 
say like, you don't know the first thing, you know, or to like, <laughs> um, I think I just felt sometimes embarrassed or felt sometimes, well, you some, don't understand. Some people thought, it, oh, th- that would be an easy masters. I'm sure. like, no, 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 no. And I told them, this is what I did because I was married at the time. I did not want to be away from my husband for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So once a year for a month, I would take these classes. That meant that that one month, what normally would have been spread out over three or four months was condensed to one month. Okay. And I did not get much sleep. It was wonderful. Sure, sure, It was sure. intense. Yeah. And it was only after that month that I tried to catch up on sleep. So I tried to tell them like, you know, like we had wonderful courses like storytelling linguistics or the historical and psychological foundations of storytelling. I mean, cool. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yes. I love that. I want to talk about some of those things. (laughs) So, okay. So you finish your master's and then what are like the big things? Like what are just like, what are the big things that have, that have happened? Well, for 10 years I did the insurance. Okay. But then I decided, you know, I, I enjoyed that, but I want to see if I can get into the library. Okay. And I interviewed for a position there and it was you know, circulation, not even reference. And the, the person interviewing me says, you know what, you're, you're overqualified. I can't have you be a circulation where you're checking in, checking out. I need you as a librarian, but we don't have that right now. If one of the other branches has an opening, I'll let them know. Okay. And down the road, that happened. Okay. And suddenly I became a librarian and my specialty, young adult, which was exciting because yeah. I started storytelling as a young adult. Yeah. It was very exciting yeah, to, yeah. again, be in that young adult world. Totally. And then when did you start the festival? That was, well, okay, that is interesting because the idea, the uh, big idea for it actually started back in BYU days. Yes, yeah. you mentioned it, I think. BYU days was when it happened. So for yeah. at least 15 years, it was percolating. Yeah. And I, even during my storytelling masters, I was having brain trust sessions about it. Okay. Even though it was way ahead of time. Yeah. Um, you got a dream. You had I a had dream. a dream yeah. and I had the professor, um, David Novak, as well as a few classmates who, this was not during class time, would c- come with me and I recorded our conversations of what would be great what would we even call this and at the time it was going to be called um world story something yeah i couldn't decide on whether it was going to be conference or a festival or what because i want it to be bigger than simply performance yeah i wanted it to be olympic size level okay Uh, to that What, what was so tell me like what was the dream like, I mean, you just talked about the size, but like, what right. did you want it to be? So performance and. So what, what I explained to them or anyone I did brain trust sessions with was this is what I imagine is a six day event where each of the six major continents are represented, Amazing. where there would be a, a state of the art from each of the continents that they would be broadcasting across universities. Cool. Even back then, this is before when virtual's big right now, yeah, yeah, this yeah. was, I was already imagining this like. 15, 20 years ago. And uh, that we would have this, we would have old world and new world storytelling Cool. where there would be kind of more your folk art and the symbolism and the culture, but then you'll have new world things like uh, story slams or with, you know, like the moth or those kinds of related things, Uh, myth offs, you know, those types of fun styles. Cool. Uh, I'm just huge. Yeah. And I pictured us taking over basically an area the size of like a, a fair. Yeah. Huge, huge conference. So this yeah. is what eventually I'd love it to get to. Yeah. So when did you start it officially? How, how long ago? Well, 
there were planning meetings back in 2014. Okay. And then the first festival was in 2016. Okay. And then what is the festival? So, okay, pretend we're not in coronavirus. What was the (laughs) festival like supposed to be like this year? So what was supposed to happen this year is we were going to, because it was our five-year anniversary, Mm. we were going to do a multilingual pavilion. Amazing. Where we would have three languages at the same time. Cool. There would be American Sign Language, there would be Spanish, there would be English. Cool. And how you work that is the, the storyteller would speak in English a few lines, and that would give the Spanish, then you pause, and the Spanish would then share a few lines. And... In the process so, of that, of course, American Sign Language is yeah, happening. Yeah. So there, there would be a lot of... It's different for the audience to work with something like yeah. that, but, but I cool. still love the celebration well, of three languages. That's what I was going to say. It seems like your value system really is broad and inclusive. Like, you want stories to be truly globally represented, um, which I think is really compelling. Um and that's why the importance of the name, that's why we couldn't even figure it out. Like world story, what are we going to call it? Yeah. And, uh, actually Carl Bailing, and he gave me permission to call it this, which was so kind. He's like, you know what, you know, we're out in the West, you know, kind of the crossroads of the West and there's story and crossroads. There's so many meanings behind yeah. crossroads and it ended up being story crossroads. Yeah. And right now it's called story crossroads. When we get to this Olympic level, it's going to be world story crossroads cool i love that i love that so then once every four years remember it's supposed to be olympics this is olympics but without the trophies without that see i may have wanted that in the beginning that's not at all it's not in the value system anymore yeah it's more about Um, it's more celebration side of the olympics versus we're competing against each other cool and that um once every four years would be world story crossroads the off years would be story crossroads yeah so let's talk now about why storytelling is important. What do you want to say about it? Ooh, I mean, the storytelling, we as human beings need it. Yeah. And we want it. Yeah. And even if we don't know it exists, we can get inklings of it around us. I mean, there yeah. will always be the storytelling that happens on what's called like the front porch or yeah. kitchen. Dinner table. The dinner table yeah. storytelling. So yeah. we'll have that if we walk down hallways or at a store. I mean, we're going to hear snippets of things around us. Yeah. But what is may, may be considered platform storytelling, maybe why we are drawn to something like that, yeah. where we have someone on stage is the ability to give someone their voice. And when I say voice, that's not simply verbal. This could also mean, of course, when you have American Sign Language. Right. And you, a and, figurative voice. Right. Yeah. Right. They, they their identity. Voice. I mean, as of, I'm going to check this one more time because I really like what we're talking about and I'm just, I'm paranoid. It's still working. Um, I talk about this all the time as a singer with my students. You know, I care about their physical voice but not nearly as much as I care about their figurative voice. Mm-hmm. I want them to have confidence with their physical instrument and their face and their body um, so that they can tell me what is in their soul. So they can tell me what's in their mind, you know, and they can tell me who they are and they can tell me what they've seen and what they've experienced and what they think, what they want, what they're scared of, you know, whatever. Right. And any story you tell on stage, even if it's not a personal story, is a personal story. Totally. It reveals who you are and what's important because it's filtered through. Or at least it should. Yourself, if you're just, yeah. you know, throwing something on stage and didn't think about it, 
that that well that reveals something else too i guess you're right yeah (laughs) so but but deep down if you actually decided to tell that story then there's something that's drawing you to that story and it's it then turns into a personal story can you talk about how story is connected to a place you know like you were talking Mm. about like doing the continents and and i guess i mean a place but also maybe a time like i mean can you talk about how how stories like why stories are important in terms of like where they well, story, come from. Stories always are connected to place. I mean, in yeah. order to have a story, you have you have to have a setting. Yeah. No matter what, there is a place. And when we are in a place, we have the the smells of that place. Yeah. We have the sights of that place. We have the sounds of that place. All of that feeds into that memory. And it turns into a story when something different happens in that place. Right, right, right. That's a really beautiful way to say that. What about like, why do you think it's important for us to hear stories from people who are different from us? Oh, it's so important. Yeah. But can, <laughs> can you, you imagine hearing the same stories over and over again? Yeah. It well. would be awful for one. I mean, just, that, even yeah. just for that alone. But really, we don't hear enough sides of stories. Yeah. Uh, history is infamous for one side of the story. And of course, it's the victor. You know, the right. one who then has carried on. Right. And what I love, uh, what happens with historical storytelling is that you purposely look for other sides of it. Yeah. Which can get people uncomfortable, but that's okay. Storytelling is supposed to do that. And I've heard Elizabeth Ellis, a wonderful storyteller, say all the time that you make the comfortable uncomfortable and those who are uncomfortable comfortable. Yes. I love that. Yeah. I would love to just like hear, I don't know, I don't know what to ask specifically, but I want to hear more about like, I don't know, maybe I'll ask like, what stories have challenged you? Like, what kinds of stories do you find like difficult? Or like, you know, just from a personal experience, like, you know, what, what kinds of stories freak you out? (laughs) Well, strangely, I have trouble telling personal stories. Mm. I, I love, and I'm drawn to these folk tales, and, and I love the symbolism behind them, and I don't share many personal stories on stage. And I know that there's a specific reason right now, but even before that, um, some of the personal stories are involved with my three kids who I adopted like through foster care. And I feel like I cannot share any stories specific to those moments you don't necessarily own their stories yeah until they're at least 18 now yeah. i did share a little moment there of course with my youngest yeah, yeah. with my daughter but um but that was kind of more really, general that was yeah. more general Talk i didn't about i didn't her. feel like i yeah. i shared so much beyond what so. she would maybe allow me yeah if she yeah. was 18 right now i felt like you were just talking about child development exactly you know, less about and that's your why, daughter right yeah so so part of me um I know that once they do turn 18 and I approach them and say, what do you think? Yeah. You have to make sure that whatever shared on stage, they would be fine with, even if there's things that they may not necessarily like, but are they at least fine with acknowledging there? What about stories that you consume as a listener? You know, like, like I, maybe not so much as a storyteller, but like, you know, you're a facilitator of storytelling. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, maybe even a curator, 
in many ways yes because we have auditions and we have people that we select for the festival so yes so yeah what kinds of stories maybe that aren't your stories to tell what kinds of stories challenge you if any hmm i mean i'm asking because i'll just say i i think i'm asking because you know are we're in such a tricky spot in the world right now i don't know about you but i think about it a whole lot and it's one of the reasons why I do this podcast because um, I'm a broken record about it. I talk about it almost every episode. But, you know, I think as creatives, we have and as, as artists and as creative as people who've devoted our lives to creativity, um, we maybe spend more time than some people thinking about like being curious about other people, being curious about ideas, kind of regularly flexing an open mind, you know, even if it's not what we, you know, feel, but kind of like stepping into another person's reality. Mm -hmm. And I feel like those are skills that we could all stand to have a little more of. Um, That's what I think. And I'm curious, you know, as you're a person who's been exposed to so many stories, Mm. just, I just, it's not so much like I'm interviewing you about this. I just am genuinely curious. Like if we were at lunch, I'd want to ask you about this. Um, what, what are, could you say like, what are the kinds of stories that like scare you or that you feel are difficult or that you have a hard time like believing or like, I, just, I think it might be useful for this. Someone might to hear you talk strange. about strange. I get nervous when stories get censored. And yet mm. personally, I don't, like to hear stories let's say that have bad language or things in them but censored as in the meaning or what the original intent was yeah i have a love-hate relationship with disney yeah as a storyteller yeah i mean i recognize disney kind of as an entity as its own storyteller and that's where i can still love disney and love yeah. what they have decided to do but very much what disney does is fan fiction right but it's definitely watered down. Right. Um, or the endings are completely changed. Yeah. I the, mean, for example, like Hunchback of Notre Dame, that is yeah. definitely not the ending yeah. there. Or uh, Pocahontas definitely was not even close right. to that. So very much um, uh, fan fiction that's yeah. going on there. So I get really nervous when I see too much censoring for a story. And my feeling is it is better to choose a different story than to warp yeah one so much why do you think it's important to hear stories that like end poorly or like i mean because i feel like you're skirting around it and i feel like i mean not on purpose i just i i just i want you i would love for you to articulate to my listeners why hard stories are important like maybe maybe two things that i'd really like to know like why are hard stories important Mm -hmm. and like how can we develop the skill of getting better at listening to hard stories see that goes to the original story and in the original story and if it's happened you know decades ago or hundreds of years ago there will be things that are offensive yeah as a society sure but i would rather that we just talk about it and honor the story from that time period but then after a performance like that have a discussion yeah yeah and I love those yeah. when it's not just a performance, but when there's a Q and a or something like yeah. let's, let's, let's process this think together about this. Yeah. Yes. We now yeah. have this pause together. We're still together sharing this energy together in this room or virtually we're, yeah. we're sharing yeah. this bond. What can we now move forward with what we just heard? Uh, 
how can we improve ourselves because of that? Yeah. You know, because there's going to be definitely awful things with uh, with gender. There's going to be with racism. There's so many things. Yeah. And it doesn't mean we can never tell them. I think enough, there's too many times that we just don't tell them because yeah. it'll be too much work to talk about them afterwards. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I don't like that. I think yeah. we need to perform that- and talk. The clue, the clue, the difficulty is the clue that it's, we probably should talk about it. Don't you think sometimes it maybe not across the board, but people go to an event and they're like, I I just need an escape. It's not going to be the best time for it. So you as a performer would have to be responsible and let them know this is a performance with a discussion. So this is going to be a little bit more. Um, mature. Yeah. Not that there's bad language or anything. It's just that um, this, you know, a six heavy. year old, it's yeah. not, they're not going to get sure. it. Not that they couldn't come if they wanted to, but they're not going to maybe yeah. get what we're trying to discuss. Well, here. it's one thing I talk about with my guests a lot is the the crossroads between not to use your word. <laughs> well, you can. It's but, a word um, existed before us. But the, <laughs> the crossroads between entertainment and art, because mm-hmm. some art is entertainment, mm-hmm. and some entertainment is art. Right. But plenty of entertainment is not art and plenty of art is not entertaining. Right. <laughs> um, and that is something that I think as an American culture, we are very bad at dealing with. Um, I don't know enough about enough other cultures to really know, but I, I did take ethnomusicology in college and I, I have a vague idea <laughs> that some cultures are better at dealing with the stuff that's hard. Mm. And I think we, we that's true. in America get a little entertainment <gasps> focused. In fact, um, just last night. Tell me. Okay, just last (laughs) night. um, I was actually uh, talking with a few people about cultural appropriation. Yeah. That's an extra big topic lately. Yeah. But there was suddenly a bigger spin on it because it was talking about interpretation on top of Mm. uh, cultural appropriation. There was a storyteller who was going to share this story and found out that the interpreter changed her story. <gasps> oh no. Because then it was not as offensive. Yeah, that's to the that's listening censorship culture. You're about. Yeah. Right. To the listening culture. Sure. And you know, and and she was like I would have changed my story. Yeah. I would have changed it if they would have told me ahead of time that um that, you know, it just didn't feel right to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they they said there was no not, not a, enough time to do another story and get it approved. Sure, sure. So they had to stick with it. Yeah. And she only learned about it because people afterwards talked to her about it. Says, yeah. I love this story. And I loved when this and this and this happened. And she's she's like, like, wait a second. When did that happen? Yeah. Oh, no. And. Yeah. Uh, how, sorry. How, what was this? How did it tie into appropriation? Like. Well, because um, because it was a cultural story. Okay. And um, so she was representing her culture when she uh, performed it. Okay. But it was um, another another land, another country that decided oh, to I see. change it. So it's a different so twist that's to not, it. I see what you're it's saying. A different so it's twist not to it. that it's appropriation. Usually it's, it's sometimes it's... it's the performer who is maybe at risk of doing that. Right. In this case, it was different. It was actually the... The interpreter. The interpreter. And not quite and appropriation, but just kind of... Uh, it is an, a level making of censorship, an alteration but it, it does link in a little bit to do they have a right to change that story which now d- is right. not connecting to her culture right 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 that's really interesting um 
do you, can you tell any, like, just, it doesn't have to be like an anecdote, but just any personal reflection on how you have gotten better as like a human at understanding stories that are like hard for you to understand? Like, do you have any advice about like how you do that? Well, first you have to actually go to places or attend events that will be harder. Yeah. I mean, that's the first step. Hardcore amen there. Uh, like, like one, one way is, like, I mean, in Utah, very Caucasian. Yeah. But yet in Glendale and Salt Lake City, there's like 37 different languages spoken there. So if we work hard, we can actually go someplace. We can, you know, no matter what your race may be, yeah. you can think, can I go somewhere where I will not be that dominant culture? Yeah. Yeah. That going is already going to take a bit of um, bravery. Bravery. Yeah. It does. And then once you are there, um, you know, to, to listen. listen. Yeah. Knowing that you are the minority. Yeah. And important that if you have yeah. questions that you can talk to yeah. other people. Like uh, there was one that I took my kids to that was led by the Nubian storytellers of Utah leadership and soul. Cool. And I went and um, I believe if I remember, we might've been the only Caucasians there. Yeah. And I have to say, I loved it. Yeah. And I loved listening to these West African stories. Yeah. Being surrounded by people who were of another ethnicity, yeah. another culture, and it was it, there was something about it, and I yeah. felt so welcomed. I didn't feel any glares or anything. Yeah. I did, you know, in the back of my mind, I wondered you are if they're aware. Were, yeah, you know, they're yeah. We all what are aware that okay, a little yeah. bit different here. Yeah, but um, I think even though some of those stories might have been familiar to me, because I changed how I was listening to it, yeah. it opened my mind a little bit more. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense to me. Yes. And what it, it, it also makes me worried of how many times have I told stories and not done enough research, yeah. not have enough understanding before sharing it. Yeah. That's really a good point. Yeah. It's hard. It's a hard thing to talk about. And, and like I said, I've just been thinking about it so much because I'm seeing so I'm seeing so much trauma, you know, and fear just obviously not in like specifically the art community and certainly not specifically the storytelling community, but just at large in my community. And I, I, I can't help but feel like some of this thing that we're experiencing, I know, like, I don't experience it in the same way for maybe the simple fact that I spent my entire, you know, I spent my entire adulthood studying jazz music which is inherently different from what I was raised with you know flexing that muscle of being like this wasn't made for me and it, I mean that's maybe specifically racial but I don't mean it that way necessarily you know it's a different time it's a different type of people it was mostly men you know <laughs> I mean some certainly there were women in jazz but right um but you know having like what am I trying to say? Like having a regular practice or habit of putting your mind in a space where you're uncomfortable mm -hmm. and where you're having to go like, well, I'll just be completely open and let this other person tell me the rules of this. You know, mm -hmm. I'll let this other person explain to me like how I'm supposed to see this, how I'm supposed to think of it. And that is, uh, an experience that I love, you know, like <laughs> I, 
I miss it when I don't have it. And it's one reason why I started this podcast, because these conversations give me that like on a very regular basis, you know, like trying to kind of get in some like let someone else tell me like this is how my brain works this is how my medium works and just feeling like I'll meet you there and I'll try my best to just like start wherever you are and let like like you tell me and I feel like it's something that a lot of people don't ever do truly never 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 well it makes me think of going back and never thought think of it this way before but how it took four years before my brother spoke because I kept talking and I have to remind myself as an adult that I, I have to give space so that other people can be yeah. talking and it's, it's not easy at all. Yeah. It has to be something you make a choice to do and it has to be something that you teach yourself to value. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of, it's like a, you're exercising some trust or some faith, maybe upfront that like there is value here. I maybe don't get it yet. I maybe don't understand it yet, but I know it's there and, or I believe it's there and I'll invest time and I'll invest my fear, you know, like I'll, I'll make room for my fear until I feel something different. Um, I think maybe the last thing I want to ask you is if, if we're now thinking, maybe if we're thinking less about artists and we're thinking about just the people that we know, people in our families, people in our neighborhoods, people, our coworkers, you know, whatever, not our art coworkers, the other kind, <laughs> um, those people, yeah, the, uh, the, the people, the others. Um, oh dear. <laughs> we, that's not what we mean. No, I but, know. Um, but, but I mean, just people who aren't spending regular time thinking like this. Um, I want to ask from the perspective of a storyteller, so like two, let me finish the two part question. Part one, from the perspective of a storyteller, do you have any advice for how someone could tell their coworker, mother, father, neighbor, a story about themselves that they think might be misunderstood? And then maybe some advice as a listener. So do, do you have any advice from, from both perspectives of how we can maybe do a better job talking with each other about our lives? Ooh, <laughs> let me think about this one. Hmm. I remember Noah Baum. Um, she's an Israeli storyteller. Uh, she lives in Washington, D.C. now. And she said that the hardest thing is getting the scheduled time to talk to each other. Not that you aren't willing to talk to each sure. other, but actually, can you be in the same room together, even though you have conflicting opinions? Yeah. Uh, and so it makes me think of, in this case, if you're being misunderstood, there's already a conflict. Yeah. And what space will be welcoming enough for that? Yeah. Now, we can do that virtually. And if someone is willing to, at least through Zoom or other virtual platforms, yeah, that can be done. But how do you get comfortable enough to even invite? Yeah. And... Sometimes you just have to be, you just have to say it like it is and said, I've always been curious about this and I understand that your time is precious, but if any chance, I would love to listen to you and would you be willing? But then knowing who you would invite. Yeah. And there's a lot, there's a lot you'd have to figure out, right. You'd have to figure out. 
And that means if you look around you and you are basically around Caucasians or you're basically around just like when you're one culture uh, of one kind or another, then already you will be doing something uncomfortable. Yeah. And if you acknowledge that you will be uncomfortable, then maybe you'll be comfortable that you'll be uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, you can set your you expectations have to actually, there. But you have to actually do it. Yeah. Uh, you can talk all the time, but you have to actually commit to it. Yeah. And maybe even give yourself a goal of this is when I need to do this by. Yeah. And then, and then just be clear and says, I want to be a listener. Yeah. And I wouldn't worry if, if you're being misunderstood, you need to listen first. Yeah. But if you want to understand another, again, you need to listen first. So no matter what, no matter yeah. which path you have to take on this, yeah. you have to be that listener, which is a harder skill. Yeah. I have found, you know, I have, I have limited experience with this, but I think I, I do what you're saying where like, you know, if, if I find that there's someone or some group or an individual or, or a culture or, you know, whatever, anything that I feel confused about mm -hmm. or have questions about will take myself into that space and observe like something that mm -hmm. I regularly do is like join a Facebook group, mm. like, you know, a mm -hmm. private Facebook group and never comment, you know, just, right. just kind of soak it in. Because I feel like that's a really, that's a way to learn mm -hmm. how another culture is. Um, and when I say another culture, maybe I mean like sex workers, you know, I don't necessarily mean like an ethnic group, you know, or something like that, or, you know, people who, maybe dancers you know it, do, it doesn't have to be like something that's political or anything right. like that um but you know that's something that i i have a regular practice of doing i'll join a group and maybe i don't stay in the group forever mm -hmm. but i'll i'll be a fly on the wall there for a year or two and <laughs> just pay attention you know maybe occasionally ask a question very rarely right. but mostly just think of a question and then look for answers, you know, I've, I've done that a little bit. Like I, there's some Facebook groups like on, of songwriters or yeah. visual artists. And, and I did become Facebook uh, group member, but, but I haven't commented at all. Yeah. And you I, just it, wanna, I was uh, curious. Yeah. Just so I think like, that's, that's a great point of just like taking that step of putting yourself in a space where you might learn. Mm -hmm. And then I think, you know, I kind of mentioned it before, but I, and I haven't, I haven't thought this specifically, but I sure have been thinking about it in the last couple of weeks. Uh, maybe not these specific words, but I do think that you have to extend a certain amount of faith that the person you're talking to is a good person. Oh, like of course. you can maybe just <laughs> determine later that maybe it's not a person you want to trust, but having a certain amount of faith that like, if this other person is saying something that offends me or this other person is saying something that, um, scares me or that mm. I'm, I'm sure is wrong or, you know, to think, to have your first thought be, I bet I'm missing something. Right. I bet something's being lost in translation. Right. And the storyteller would say, I need, I need more parts of this story. Yeah. I need more stories around yeah. this one thing. Yeah. And, and having that, like being, you know, are you into Brene Brown? <laughs> uh, she, I, she she's a beautiful singer. She No, Brene Brown, 
the she's a sociologist. She she oh, calls herself. Sorry, a, I was. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> no, she calls herself a researcher storyteller. But she has this book, Braving the Wilderness. That's why I thought she like she calls. That's what she calls herself, a researcher storyteller. So I thought like maybe a storyteller would be into that. It's fine. She's very popular and has a TED Talk and many books. Um, but she has this one book that she calls the the book is called Braving the Wilderness, and it's all about like the the wilderness is this totally uncomfortable place where we try to get to know each other, you know, as people who are raised in different ways or grew up in different places or grew up in different times. And I think it's that like having some faith as you enter the, the wilderness to be like, hi, I'm going to try to believe you. I'm going to do my best to try to see from your perspective. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about storytelling? Uh, well, storytelling is something that, that needs to continue through the generations and will. Yeah. Um, it's just that sometimes the, the organized side of storytelling, the platform storytelling is not always visible to people than what always happens in the home or in the workplace. So knowing that, uh, technically storytelling will still continue on through the generations it's just will they recognize it yeah how long will they go before they know that this is a path that they could take Mm. you know i'm thinking back for me i did not recognize it as an art form until high school and really technically once i started college was when my eyes opened to the true possibilities so just keeping that in mind that we can be active in, in supporting our youth in the arts, in storytelling, or we can let it be how it is, knowing it will always exist. Yeah. Storytelling will always exist no matter what we yeah, do. It's an, just an oral tradition. But we can do more so that it becomes more impactful and yeah. something that will change the way we feel and be able to improve our, our empathy for each other. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to say just more broadly about art, creativity, just any, any like final thoughts Hmm. as it pertains to any of this conversation? (laughs) Right. If there aren't, that's okay. I just want to give you the opportunity. Right. Right. Well, I love storytelling and its ability to connect with any and all art forms. Yeah. And I mean, that's why story crossroads because we wanted to have this multi-generational, multi-art, um, you know, multi-racial, uh, all kinds of experiences uh, within this world. And any of all that can be blended together. And you can have, you might say, the pure form of storytelling where, where you're speaking, you're talking. You know, you're not reading or anything. You're just simply sharing and engaging people but you can take whatever makes you you and put it part of that. You know, and that, that can mean not just the uh, singing or playing an instrument. Yeah. You know, it can also mean who are you with your ancestry that you want to include yeah. with that? Who are you with the generation that you are part of yeah. that needs to be now part of that? Yeah. And uh, it's a beautiful thing when you can find and discover that you are the only for this particular thing. Yeah. Yeah. The story that only you can tell. Right. Yeah. We talk about that as musicians a lot and I'm sure every (laughs) medium. Yeah. Right. Every art will have that. What is the thing that only you can say? 
Okay. Oh my gosh. This has been so nice. I always ask everybody at the very end, what's your dream collaboration? And for a storyteller, maybe that's complicated. So maybe you already talked about your dream project, but maybe like, I don't know, who's a storyteller you'd love to share a stage with or a storyteller you'd love to hear from, or just what's, what's a, what's a dream. Right. And I'm so much an organizer, still, still a storyteller, but so much an organizer that sometimes, um, those personal dreams get placed on hold. I still, I feel like Story Crossroads is not a personal dream anymore, that there's okay. enough people who are yeah. behind it that it's not just a Rachel dream anymore. Yeah. So that in of itself is huge. But deep down, personally, what I've always wanted to do, and the closest I've ever got to it, was uh, having a full choir, full orchestra, and basically taking over one of those Temple Square Christmas yeah. performances. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And being the storyteller. And okay. usually that storyteller is, uh, is a celebrity. And, you know, Rachel Hedman is not a name that's yeah. going to suddenly <laughs> ring forth, but, you know, for everybody. But yeah. just being surrounded by all those arts at the same time yeah. and telling, that actually has been... That's a dream. A huge dream. And that's definitely a collaboration. Right. And yeah. the closest I got was doing um, a woodwind quintet, uh, Aspen Winds, and we did Peter and the Wolf. Cool. And that was amazing. Cool. Or uh, actually on Temple Square, but not the big, the big conference. One, yeah. that, right. But we did have, besides Aspen Winds, we had a trumpet player and we were able to perform uh, the Steadfast Tin Soldier. Cool. And cool. that was wonderful. So those yeah. are my closest of, oh, good, yeah. I have, to I have collaborate this collaborate with musicians. Right. Yeah. And every time I went to rehearsals and the whole room just filled with that yeah. sound, yeah. I, I was nervous. I was not going to even jump in on time with yeah. my words because I was just You're so, so like overcome. entranced yeah. by this. And yeah, uh, so cool. just having the honor to just share that space. Yeah, that's really so that, cool. So that's... <laughs> The big ultimate dream is if I can have a full orchestra, full choir. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a way that that could happen. Right. Some, somehow. Um, okay. And then finally, tell everybody where to find you and to find your work and to find your... Well, there is Story Crossroads. Okay. And that is storycrossroads.org. Okay. And... Then there's also my personal one, though, of course, the organizer side of me always puts more attention to Story Crossroads. So, yes, yeah. you can find me at rachelhedman.com <laughs> or folktalesaboutfamilies.com. Okay. Cool. But where there's most activity and where you'll find tons of resources is at storycrossroads.org. And if anybody wanted to reach out to you, there's like a contact form or email there oh, or yes. something. Oh, okay. yes. Great. Rachel, thank you so much. It was so awesome to talk to you today. Well, thank you so much, Emily. I loved it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from my album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel and ad segment music by Jerem Hansen. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.